Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Turn with me real quick to Mark chapter 1 as you turn there. I don't know how many of you guys are familiar with Instagram. Let me just ask this. How many Instagram accounts do we have out there? Would you just kind of raise your hands? Yeah, I love it. I love it. Instagram, social media platform, really it's designed so that you can share uh, photos and videos with your followers and anybody who cares uh, to take a look. In fact, I did a little bit of a research and I thought, man, who is it that has the most followers on Instagram? And and I'm going to tell you, I was pretty surprised. Cristiano Ronaldo, this incredible soccer player. Uh, Anybody ever heard of him or seen him? yeah, he's pretty handsome and pretty athletic, right? Reminds me a lot of me. But anyway, he, he has the most Instagram followers um, there is, and he has 271 million followers. You know who's second? Ariana Grande, 227 million followers. This one's the one that just uh, surprises me. Third place, 224 million Instagram followers, The Rock. Y'all, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. Like, really? You know, he's, he's too, and I want to share with you, coming in at a fourth place, and, and this may surprise you as well, and I want you to look really close here. Um, this is our very own David Husky from VBS on 80s Night. He has about 220 million followers, right? Um, we actually made a fake account for him. Anyway, it was great. Man, There's a lot of followers and a lot of people being followed on social media. It is the platform of platforms today on social media. And here's the question. You ready? When it's so much of a status symbol, and David, just because I love you, I'm going to change this, okay? I'm just going to go back to my sermon slide, just leave it there. But with it being a status symbol today to have followers, in a world where everybody is following somebody, I've got a question for you. Who are you following? Not on Instagram, but with your life. Who is it that we are following, really following? Who are we following with more than just our words, but with our deeds? Who are we following with more than just platitudes, but with passion? Everybody is following somebody. Who are you following? As you turn to Mark chapter 1, we're going to begin there in verse 16. It is in this passage that you and I begin to walk alongside the the Sea of Galilee, some 2,000 years ago in that first century. And we are walking along here in Scripture with none other than Jesus. And we begin to watch him interact with common, everyday, hardworking people. And here's what the Bible says in verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, verse 17, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. When they got a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat and the hired men, and they followed him. I love this invitation of Jesus that we find here. It's the invitation to follow me, and it's the very invitation he has been making for some 2,000 years. 
It's the invitation that we find on the shores of the Sea of Galilee in the first century, and it's the very same invitation we'll find on the shores of Douglas Lake in the 21st century. The invitation to follow me. And one of the first things we note here in Scripture, and I want you to see, is I want you to see the initiator of this invitation. I want you to see the initiator of this relationship. It is none other than Jesus, God in the flesh, inviting them to follow him. In Mark chapter 1, we find that Peter and Andrew, James and John, part of creation, are now standing face to face with their creator. You see, Peter and Andrew, James and John, they are sinners, and now they are face to face alongside of the sea with their Savior. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, reminds us of this truth. We love because he first loved us. Think of that. Peter and Andrew, James and John, they didn't, they didn't go after Jesus. He came after them. We love because he first loved us. And so this morning we learned an incredible truth about our faith and when it comes to our faith. That Jesus extends this incredible invitation to follow me. Not based on necessarily what we bring to the table. Like our goodness, our ability, or our popularity. Rather, he extends his invitation to follow him based on what he brings to the table in this love relationship. You see, we're reminded here that it is Jesus who initiated our love relationship and that he loved us first. Now, take in your Bibles and let's go over to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, as you head there, we find ourselves again at the Sea of Galilee. Can I just tell you something about Jesus? Jesus loved lake life. Just so you know, Jesus loved lake life. In fact, in Mark cha- or Matthew chapter 14, we find that he can barefoot on the water without even a boat, right? He loved lake life. And so uh, you can write a shirt and just say, Jesus loved the lake, be like Jesus, right? And go out to the lake. And he loved lake life. And here we find ourselves again in Luke chapter 5. There we are at the Sea of Galilee. And we stop for a moment. And we begin to see what Jesus does. Instead of being right there along the shore, now we find Jesus on the docks where commerce is taking place. Business is happening and money is changing hands. And every time that takes place in the first century, this guy, Shows up. Take a look at Luke chapter 5, verse 27. The Bible says this that after this, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector. And they're everywhere, aren't they? Saw a tax collector by the name of Levi. We know him as Matthew. And the Bible says that he was sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And the Bible says that Levi got up, left everything, and followed Jesus. Now, we know the initiator of this invitation to follow me, but right now we begin to see the intended target of Jesus' invitation, a tax collector, perhaps the most hated man on the docks that day, the man that everybody would try their best to avoid. No one wanted to see him. Nobody wanted to interact with this guy. By his very position, by his Jewish name, Levi, we understand that he would have stolen from and injured his very own people in the name of Rome and in the pursuit 
of personal gain. Nobody hated quite like a tax collector was hated. And here's what we begin to see in Scripture. The fact that Jesus would approach a guy like this is shocking enough, but to extend to this man, this Levi, the invitation to follow him was absolutely unthinkable. And yet Jesus does. And yet Jesus did. And you know what it reveals to us this morning? The intended target of Jesus' invitation to follow me is the type of people that Jesus desires to save and to put his spirit in. You see, it's from fishermen to felons, tax collectors to tax cheats, ordinary people, extraordinary people, hypocrites and hopeless people, sinners and selfish people, those who have nothing in their life together and those who pretend like they have everything in life together. Scared people and scarred people. Poor people, rich people. College-educated people and simple, hard-working people. Black people, white people, brown people, young people, old people. What we begin to see, the intended target of Jesus' invitation to follow me are people who look just like you and they look just like me. Thank God. That's why I love the disciples that Jesus picks to follow him because they look like us. Peter, James, and John, and, and Andrew, Bartholomew, the younger James, Thaddeus, Matthew, Philip, Simon, and Thomas. And not just the 12 men that we know of that kind of get a lot of the attention, but the many women who followed who were disciples of Jesus and, by the way, didn't abandon him in the roughest chapters of his life. Guys, they look just like us. They're people just like us. I am so grateful that Jesus' invitation to follow me wasn't just reserved for the religious elite, the morally superior, or the socially privileged. His invitation to follow me is extended to all of us, every one of us, by faith. I I read the story once of a young lady who had uh, wanted to go to a certain college, so she began to fill out the college application, and a question popped up on the application that really caused her to struggle. Here's the question. Are you a leader? Uh, Being both honest and conscientious, she knew she wasn't, and so she checked the box, no, I am not a a leader, and she folded it up, put it in an envelope, and she sent it fearing the worst, fearing that she would be denied entry into the college. She got a letter from this college, and listen to what the letter read. Dear applicant, a study of the application forms reveals that this year our college will have 1,452 new leaders. We are accepting you because we feel it is imperative that they have at least one follower. You see, the greatest leaders in God's kingdom are those who are followers first. Those God uses most aren't born leaders. They are born again followers of Jesus. And so the question comes, we know the initiator of this invitation, but we know his intended audience. But what are the implications of following me? 
If we were to play that out to its end, what are the implications of it? How would saying yes to Jesus' invitation to follow him, how would it impact our daily lives? How would it influence our marriages, our relationships, our family, our coworkers, our business, our joy, our decision, our language, our temperament, our goals, and on and on? You see, Jesus paints a really perfect picture of the implications of following him. If you have your Bibles, just turn over a couple chapters to Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And listen to what Jesus says. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. That whoever wants to be my disciple must first deny themselves. Second, take up their cross daily and watch this. Follow me. Whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, he says, and follow me. That's the implication. That's what it looks like for you and I to follow Jesus. Now, I want us to dive into this a little bit. First, he says, hey, you have to deny yourself. I love what one author wrote. He said this, this is much more radical than a simple denial of a certain thing. This mandates a rejection of a life based on self-interest and self-fulfillment. It means this, you ready, church? To deny desires within us that don't line up to the Word of God. To deny feelings that would lead us into sin. To deny pursuits that aren't part of God's will for our life or part of His mission to save the world. You look at a phrase like that that Jesus throws out, deny yourself, and we begin to think it seems like we're giving up a whole lot here to follow Jesus. Until we look at the promise of following me. John chapter 8 verse 12. Note this if you would. Jesus said this. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The promise of denying ourselves is that you and I will never walk in darkness which seeks to destroy us but we'll always have the light of life, Jesus, in us, with us, and guiding us. It seems like we get up a whole lot, but it is nothing compared to what we gain. By following him, he goes on and says this, take up your cross. Now, we don't have an appreciation of this. This is a shocking statement Jesus makes here. You see, in the Roman world, the cross signified nothing more than death, rejection, guilt, and shame. A cross, crucifixion, wasn't even brought up in any type of polite conversation. Nobody talked about it. It would be akin to this, me saying this this morning. All right, guys, every morning, I want you to get up. I want you to sit in the electric chair. I want you to strap yourselves in. And I want you to flip the switch. Like, nobody talks like that. This is a shocking statement that Jesus makes to his disciples. That must have been hard for them to hear, and yet a telling sentiment of what following Jesus looks like. He's saying, Anthony, what does it mean to, to take up our cross? Now, now, a lot of times we use that language a little bit, right? Like all of us have our crosses to bear, and, and, and wives, maybe your cross to bear is your husband, right? And, and, and we all have crosses to bear. That, that's not the heart of this all. This is in the conversation of Jesus saying, look, man, you must deny yourself and take up your cross. Because here's what Jesus does, and only he's really good at it, is only Jesus can take a symbol of death and make it a, 
a symbol of life for us. What does it mean to take up our cross? It means to put to death our desires that don't honor him so that God can do what he desires in our lives. It means putting to death feelings that would lead us to live contrary to the very commands of Christ, to put to death any selfish pursuit to pursue Christ first and foremost. You know, taking up your cross really, again, not very appealing. Not something we get really excited about until we realize Jesus is in game for us. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said this, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I love the King James Version that he's come that we may have life more abundantly. You see, that's the end game of follow me for Jesus. So we take up our cross, a symbol of death, so that we may live a life more abundantly, a life to the full. And watch how Jesus throws this out there. How how often ought, ought we to follow him? What does that look like? He said daily. You must deny yourself. Watch this. Take up your cross daily and follow me. In verse 23, the word follow when written in the Greek language, was written in such a way, in such a tense, that it carried with it the idea that this was not just a one-time deal, but this was a continual, a perpetual action that continued throughout one's life. And that's the picture of what it is to follow Jesus. It means not just on Sundays, not just on holidays, and not just on good days, but to follow him, to follow Jesus with every area, every bit of our heart and our lives. I came across the story a couple weeks ago about a mission director who really had a heart for the parents who had sent their kids out on the mission field through his agency. In particular, one mom, a single mom, her daughter was on the mission field in China, and her son on the mission field in the Sudan. And so he decided to pay her a visit one day, and he sat down with her in her living room, and he began just to hear her. And and through her tears, she talked about how proud she was of her kids, their heart for the, the Chinese people with her daughter, the Sudanese people with her son. But then she began to break down a little bit and talk about how hard it was being a mama and her kids out on the mission field, how Deeply she loved them. How, how much she missed them. And it really made a difference in this mission director's heart. A few months later after his visit, he had learned that one of their Sudanese missionaries was killed. He rushed to find out the name of that missionary, and it was her son. He felt a strong connection with her, and so he said, no, guys, I'm going to go tell her. He goes back to that very same mama, sits in that very same living room, and tells her that your son has been martyred, has has been killed because of his faith in Jesus. And he describes the mom this way. After telling her the tragic news, he said she looked down, And in a few moments of composure, she said, Sir, I would rather have my son die in the middle of the Sudan alone than to have him living here with me, disobeying God's will. You know, for that mama, 
she answered yes to following Jesus. For her daughter and her son, who's now in heaven with the Lord, they answered yes to Jesus' invitation to follow me. And, And what amazes me about a passage or a story like this is that you and I begin to look at that and go, oh man, that's some kind of radical faith. That's some kind of crazy faith that not really everybody has, but just them. And what happens is is we begin to read Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And we realize that they didn't have a radical faith. In reality, their faith was a real and genuine faith produced by a mom, by a son, and a daughter who at Jesus' invitation to follow me said yes with more than just their words, but with their very lives. You know, this call to follow Jesus, it's a tough one in our culture. It really is. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow someone else. It's a tough invitation. You see, America's view of Christianity nowadays demands of Jesus, hey, Jesus, you follow me. Jesus, you follow me and make me happy. Jesus, you follow my definition of success. You follow my desires and bend your word to fit them. You follow my dreams. Jesus, you follow my pursuits. Jesus, my goals are your goals. Jesus, you follow me. I love what Tim Keller once wrote. He tweeted this one day. If your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping idealized version of yourself. You see, a faith that demands of Jesus to follow me is no faith at all. It is idolatry and the worship of self. I love what David Platt, who actually wrote a book entitled Follow Me, I love what he says. He says, if our lives do not reflect the fruit of following Jesus, then we are foolish to think that we are actually followers of Jesus in the first place. This is a hard invitation in our culture and our community, but it is a worthy one. Church, hear me. You ready? God did not clothe himself in flesh, die upon the cross, defeat hell and the grave by emptying the tomb so that he could follow us. So that he could bend his will, his word, to meet the felt needs of a people that demands either Jesus, you follow me or else. You see, he came to save us from our sin, to put his spirit in us, to supply us the power and the resources, the enablement we need to answer his invitation which he gives to all of us to follow me. I love what he says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 38. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. In a culture that says of Jesus, that demands of him, Jesus, you follow me, we need believers who stand up and say, no, I will follow Jesus. I will follow Jesus. I love the book, and I encourage you to read it. It's called Not a Fan, written by Kyle Eidelman. Anybody read that book in the house? A few of you. You know what I'm talking about. Man, incredible, incredible book. I want to read one quote from that book if I could. He writes this, the biggest threat 
to the church today are fans who call themselves Christians but aren't actually interested in following Jesus. Now listen to this. They want to be close enough to Jesus to get all the benefits, but not so close that it requires anything from them. You see, a fan of Jesus is the person who says, I like Jesus. I like his stuff. I like his church. I like his songs. I like his children's program. I like his building. I like his music. I like his merch. I like his people. I like checking off the spiritual box off my checklist each Sunday. Oh, but hey, I don't want enough of them to really change anything about my life. You see, that is a fan of Jesus and not a a follower of Jesus. And here's the sad the heartbreaking, the hard reality is that there will be a lot of fans of Jesus in hell one day if they never, by faith, follow him. My, my brother, he's a pastor in Seymour, skinny jean wearing, v-neck pastor. We always make fun of each other. At church today, he's probably talking about my husky jeans and big and tall shopping. But anyway, uh, he was at the Southern Baptist Convention uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, it's the biggest Protestant denomination. They all came together as, as pastors. I would have gone, but we had VBS, and I'd rather play with children here and not over there. But anyway, and so uh, we, they got together, and my brother was talking about how at every time the Southern Baptist Convention meets, there's a group of fundamentalists who go outside and protest. And pretty much what they do is they just stand out there with megaphones and tell all the people at the Southern Baptist Convention, you're going to hell, right? It's a Wonderful show, if you're bored. And so uh, they're doing this, and my brother says, Anthony, you will never believe what happened to me. So what happened? He said, I was walking into one of the sessions with Pastor Glenn Metz from Shiloh. We, we dearly love him here. And he says, I was walking into one of the sessions. He says, I was walking amongst thousands of people. And this group of fundamentalists were back there with their megaphone. And he says, and the guy with the megaphone looks at me. And then he begins to address me in front of thousands of people on a megaphone. And here's what he said. Hey, you, and just so you know, pastors who wear skinny jeans are going to hell. And my brother's like, they're khakis, right? They're not even jeans. And first of all, I would have paid somebody to do that, right? I'm so glad that happened to him. Uh, First of all, and there may be some truth. No, I'm kidding. Hey, hey you ready? Hey, hey, listen. Pastors of skinny jeans who follow Jesus are in his presence and will forever be. The fans of Jesus, fans only, will never be in the presence of Jesus. There's some preachers who preach about hell and they seem like they're They're glad about it. Listen, it wrenches my heart. But it leads me to this question. In light of who you follow, are you a fan of Jesus? Or are you a follower of Jesus today? Are you a fan of Jesus? Or are you a follower? Now, Now listen, every believer has seasons in their lives where they look more like fans than they do followers, but it's seasonal. And we ought to 
be broken about. Here in a moment, we're just going to fill the altar here in a minute. Just pray that God will forgive us of those seasons and, and that we be defined by following him. But are you a fan or a follower? Uh, this past week, I'm going to close with this. This past week, um, we were at camp, and we went to camp following a tropical storm that hit, which means this, that the surf and the tides in the ocean were awful. Uh, you have a good youth pastor, and so you know what he did the entire week? He closed the beach. We went to beach camp and couldn't go in the water until the last day they had lowered the flags and a bunch of his chaperones created a barrier and let the kids swim. But he closed the beach. Double red flags. That equals death, by the way, if you didn't know that. Just double red flags don't go on the beach. Aaron and I and Zach and, and our kids and our, our wives, we were out there um, just sitting on the beach. Uh, the kids were in Bible study, and uh, we were just sitting there at the beach waiting for lunch to happen, to eat lunch with the kids. I'll never forget, a youth group was released from whatever activity they were. Uh, Zach, wouldn't you say probably about 100 of them, I, I would say. It was a big youth group. And all of a sudden, with the danger flags out there, I watch as the high school students of that youth group take off and run into the ocean. And one after another after another of the students just followed them blindly into the ocean. I was up there with Zach and Aaron, and uh, I was watching the water. Now, I've been, I've been to this beach camp for 25 years, and most summers I preach multiple times down there. They got deep. They got to where the water is at their chest, these middle school and high school students. And nobody knew the danger. They just followed each other one after another out into the water. I looked over at Aaron. I said, Aaron, they don't know it yet. They're in trouble. They're in trouble. And within the next one or two minutes, 20 to 30 of them start swimming with everything they have. And they kept going backwards in the ocean. It was, it was horrifying. Zach and I were watching this unfold, and, and we ran into the water. We began to yell at him, guys, swim sideways. Swim out of the current. I started yelling at the shore, has anybody called 911? And the group said, no, we don't need to call 911. I thought, Aaron, I looked at her from the ocean and said, call 911. We're between beach access 78 and 79. And we have a dozen people in the water who are in distress. So she calls 911. Uh, Zach and I look at the, all the boys in the men of that group and say, hey, guys, form a, a chain to go out in the ocean. And still nobody was grasping what happened until it was too late. We formed a chain, they formed a chain, and they were able to snag a couple of people who were able to get in a little bit. But Zach and I watched as eight kids went from being 50 yards out in the ocean to 100 yards to 150 yards. Zach and I were in the water yelling for them. Relax. Stay above water. Swim to the side if you can to get out of the current. We were able to help. He helped a, a young man come out of the water. I helped a, a young lady, but there were still eight of them trapped out there, and they were just so far out. I'll never forget that as the waves came, and there were the lulls in between the waves, I could hear the kids yelling, Help me! They were throwing up all the salt water that they had swallowed. They were hyperventilating. It was awful. It was absolutely awful. 
As I prepared this sermon, I was preparing all last week, even at camp. I thought of them, and I thought, you know what? They just didn't see the danger. They just followed whoever was in front of them. And suddenly they were in over their heads. They were caught up in the curtain, and now their very lives were in danger. And church, you know what? That's what happens to us spiritually. When you and I follow anyone or anything else but Jesus, intentionally or even unintentionally, we get in over our head. We start drowning in our our sin. Zach and I were as far in the water as we could get without being swept out, keeping our eyes on those eight kids. Their youth group, they were crying. They didn't know what to do. When all of a sudden a Bay County lifeguard pulls up in his truck. He hops out, he grabs a surfboard. It's the coolest guy on the planet. His hair was perfect. Body was perfect. Reminded me a lot of me and Zach out there. um, Listen, without hesitation, hopped in the water. I swam out there. And within a matter of a couple minutes, there were eight kids holding on to the surfboard. He was telling them, kick your feet. We're going to get out of this rip current. He let the ocean get him in. And those who had gotten such danger by just following whoever was in front of them were saved from drowning that day because he decided to get in the water. Hey, can I tell you the truth about every one of us? Every single one of us have followed someone or something besides Jesus at some point in our life. And the glory and the good news of the gospel is that Jesus got down in the water where we were drowning. Now listen, he didn't throw on a surfboard. Rather, it was a cross. And he came and rescued everybody who would simply say to him, his invitation to follow me Jesus, I'm, I'm going to follow you. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.